Every week, the Orange Fizz team breaks down the five most pressing questions about Syracuse athletics. Holy cow, what a big-time defensive play! No holds barred. I pity the fool. It's the Fizz Five. Five. Welcome back to another edition of Fizz 5 with Ian Unsworth. I'm John Eads. So glad to be back with you guys, Fizz Nation, for another episode here. We are about two weeks away from football season, so we're going to dive into all things football today, make it very football-centric, what's going on in camp, looking ahead to Syracuse's schedule because the AP poll came out recently. And we're going to analyze the strengths and weaknesses of Syracuse's team but not necessarily about the strengths and weaknesses, more so what other teams are going to do against those strengths and against those weaknesses. And then we'll get into breakout player picks for both the, for both the offense and the defense. And we'll finish out with an interesting question, courtesy of one of our staff members, Ethan Frank. Which program, Syracuse football or Syracuse basketball, has more pressure on it to win this year and to win big. We'll get into all of those things and much more on Fizz 5. But let's start with our first topic. What's the latest with Syracuse football in fall camp? Number one. All right, so fall camp about midway through, two and a half, about three weeks in, couple left. And like I said, two weeks until Syracuse kicks off against Louisville in a very anticipated 2022 season. And Ian, kind of the sentiment coming from camp is that a lot of the young studs are making a lot of plays. But on top of that, there's been some injury issues with this team. But the main goal is to try and get out of fall camp without the long-term injuries. You can have the little bumps and bruises along the way. And so far, Syracuse has managed to do that. Hopefully, and ever, all things considered, Syracuse has kept the team healthy throughout the first couple of weeks. You expect there to be minor injuries, you know, maybe a wrist sprain, a, a bone bruise. Those things happen when you've got the pads on, you're hitting, you're scrimmaging. Syracuse is now approaching, or actually team scrimmage number two happened today, Saturday, August 20th, when we're recording this. So those, those things are bound to happen. That is football. It's a physical game you expect little minor knocks, scratches to pick up. But compared to other teams and some who we we're going to talk about throughout this Fizz Five, Syracuse as a whole has really done a good job of keeping its players healthy. And Sam Hartman, Wake Forest quarterback, out for the season. Like that, that is something that Syracuse could not have, although there is depth in the quarterback room. You you look at the other position groups where there isn't that sort of depth, the D line the receiver group, if you get an injury there, a serious injury at that, your whole outlook for defense or offense changes. So knock on wood, I'm doing it right now, but knock (laughs) on wood, the SU team stays healthy through these last two weeks of preparation for game one. I mean, John, we're a week away from college football. That's crazy within itself. But two weeks away from this this Syracuse-Louisville game, I could not be more pumped. On the, top, on the topic of young studs, at least through the Syracuse social media, the guy that they've really been highlighting that I've been seeing stand out is LaQuint Allen. They, they love his energy and what he brings. I mean, just Allen himself is, is a charismatic person, outgoing person, but he's had some highlight grabs. And when in the spring game, his quickness really stood out. So I think that LaQuint Allen has a path to play this year might be tough. He he is RB3 right now, but I think there's a path for him to play, especially with what he's shown throughout fall camp. 
He's giving Juwan Price all he can handle for that RB2 spot, the New Mexico State transfer, who I was really high on coming in and has a game that's complimentary to Sean Tucker. But from all the tea leaves I've been reading, he's been getting most of the reps with the number twos. And, you know, he brings a different kind of skill set to the table that Sean Tucker can't. Obviously, a spectacular player, top 15 in all of college football. But I think LaQuint Allen brings a little bit more of a receiving threat to this offense and to this uh, passing game than I think Tucker can. And I think he can get really used creatively, especially in the two running back formations, split back formations, and can really put some defenses in, in struggles and conflict situations if he gets matched up with the linebacker one-on-one. So I'm really excited about LaQuince Allen. All the hype has been lived up to so far. We saw him in the spring game. He had a nice touchdown. He had a couple of nice receiving plays as well. And in fall camp, he's been nothing but stellar. So I definitely think there's definitely some room for playing time for LaQuince Allen. Another guy that I've been hearing a lot about that's a young stud, Jeremiah Wilson, true freshman corner. I saw a video on Twitter. He had a one-handed pick in spring practice. And from everything I'm hearing, he's someone that's going to compete for playing time right away. He came in as an early enrollee, had some nice plays in the spring game, took his lumps, but he'd always come back and make a head-turning play right after he made a mistake or something like that. And those kind of things you just can't teach, that kind of energy, fight, and grit. He's a great athlete, overlooked guy. And as we know, Syracuse does a great job with developing finding these overlooked defensive backs, these overlooked corners. And I think Jeremiah Wilson is certainly another one of those. Um, anything else that you've heard from spring practice, uh, summer ball, fall camp? That would, that would be my other note, how the, sh- the secondary shuffling. I know on the Fizz Twitter space, which we had on Thursday, thank you for everyone that tuned into that, by the way. That was a blast. Uh, we did some Syracuse football preview stuff. And next Thursday on the Fizz Twitter at 7.30, we'll have an in-depth preview of Syracuse-Louisville Game one, I'm broadcasting the game for WAER, and John, I know you'll be deep in the midst of things as well, so we'll both be very prepared, very loaded with information, and ready to break the game down from multiple angles, but last week, we talked about the secondary and the shuffling, and John, I know you mentioned Elijah Clark, a former cornerback at Rutgers who transferred to SU, who's now moved to safety, so that's something I'm interested in, the shuffling in the secondary, because we know Deuce Chestnut and Garrett Williams are amazing, right? That No questions there. But you need a number three corner. You need some guy to play in the slot. And at times last year, that was Amon Greenwood. So you need someone new there. Uh, and the safeties have been all right, but they haven't been world beaters. I mean, Jason Simmons didn't really come on until the second half of the season. And Eric Coley's been around for six years and he's never really been the guy. So you need, you need at least one very solid safety and whether Clark's going to be getting down in the box, hitting guys in the run game or playing more of that free safety center fielder role. Either way, you need a solid safety at the back end of this defense. They call him agent Cinco. And I think he could definitely earn one of the, one of those starting jobs. Jason Simmons has been sidelined recently with an injury. His arm's been in a sling. Uh, from everything that I've read. So I think Clark's starting to get those reps with the first teamers in the secondary. He's got the pedigree too. Rutgers transfer, former top 250 recruit, had a Syracuse offer. I think he's related to Deuce Chestnut or he's from the same hometown as well. If I'm not they mistaken, played high Camden, school New football Jersey. together. I think they both That's went it. to Camden. Yeah. So they got some great chemistry there too. So I'd love to see that. And we'll see how that all plays out as uh, fall camp wraps up here and week one comes. We should be getting a depth chart pretty soon. And I'm just, I'm staring at my computer you know, just wait for that thing to drop because I'm going to be going right there. I know you will too, getting ready for Louisville. Uh, but the Cardinals are the first team 
on a very stacked, very loaded 2022 slate for Syracuse. They're not ranked, but there's a lot of opponents SU will face this year on its schedule. Let's dive into who those teams are with our second topic. Number two. All right, thanks for sticking with us. John Eats, Ian Unz, we're still with you here on Fist 5, diving into topic number two, and that is Syracuse football's 2022 schedule. And we've been saying it all offseason. It hasn't changed. It's loaded. And the AP poll just came out recently. It just backs that up. Five different opponents that Syracuse will face this year in the top 25. Two of those in the top five. Then you got NC State, Pitt, and Wake Forest on the outside looking in. What I kind of want to do here is not necessarily predict how Syracuse will do in these games, Ian, but ask you, are there any teams of the list of five? I'll give them to you. Clemson at four, Notre Dame at five, NC State at 13, Pitt 17, Wake Forest at 22. Any of those teams you think in the preseason poll won't be there come midseason, come postseason? Because there's always one that's ranked so high, and then they just flounder. There are two on this list of five that I feel are supremely overrated. Notre Dame is always overrated. We can both agree on that. I think everybody in the college football universe, regardless of your rooting affiliation, will agree that Notre Dame at the beginning of the season is overrated. And even Notre Dame fans will tell you that. Oh, yeah. The Fighting Irish have a new starting quarterback. They lost their bell cow guy, Kyron Williams, thousand yard rusher for the last two seasons. They lost him. He's gone to the NFL. And you're looking at an offense with not a whole lot of skill position talent. And John, you made this point on the Twitter space. They play Ohio State week one. So Notre Dame with a new head coach in Marcus Freeman is going to come out and get punched right in the mouth. Yep. Look at that. Notre Dame's not going to be in the top five after week one. Uh, We can guarantee that. The -hmm. other team, Wake Forest, who had a defense that was paper thin last year, and I mentioned it before, Sam Hartman is now out for the year. And what do you do now? (laughs) You you need your backup quarterback. You lost your best running back in Christian Beal-Smith. He's now at South Carolina. So you've got some answers and A.T. Perry is still there on the outside. You've got great skill position talent, but not having Sam Hartman, who's been around for what feels like forever, is going to be really tough for Wake Forest. Yeah, some kind of an off the field injury with Hartman. Uh, They haven't released exactly what it is, but it's just kind of the same thing with Justin Ross last year. I think he had an off the field medical thing. And uh, it's not football related, but it's going to keep him out for a significant amount of time. And, you know, we'll see if he actually ends up playing against Syracuse because they play later on in the season. But still, I mean, by that point, this team might be demoralized because, yes, Wake Forest brings back pretty much all of its starters from last year and all the guys. And it's too deep because they miss guys, injuries, transfers, what have you. They had a really experienced defense last year, though. They mm -hmm. lost a lot of guys who on their defense that weren't necessarily super talented they were just still returning old yeah yeah so a lot of the backups had to fill those roles now they're back to start this year but quarterback's the most important position on any football team and when you have one in sam hartman who probably is the best in the acc you can make that argument he's definitely top three how do you replace that because the backup i don't have his stats and his numbers handy but he has not played a whole lot his name's jack kern and he's not going to replace Sam Hartman in the snap of a finger. So Wake Forest, really solid. They run that mesh offense, which is very difficult to play defense against, against game plan against. They're going to be very solid, but they're not going to be a top 25 team. And it's too bad because, you know, they had all the guys coming back. It's just a great story. They went to the ACC title last year. But 
you know, that's just how the cookie crumbles sometimes. So it's unfortunate. And yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth. Notre Dame overrated every year, maybe a top 25 team, definitely not a top five team replacing quarterback. A lot of guys on offense, they still don't have proven skill position talent, which is just so important in football. They haven't had it the past couple of years and they still don't. So brand new head coach too. Now, as far as NC state and Pitt, I have them rising. I got NC state winning the ACC. If you're in the Twitter space, you know that. I love Pittsburgh. Their system is just unreal. They're going to be a top 25 team for the next couple of years, I think, easy. Clemson's interesting, and you can give me your thoughts on this. I, I don't think they're a top five team come season's end. Definitely a top 25 team just because of all the talent they have. They're going to find a way to win eight, nine games just like last year, but they're not an elite team, and I don't think they win the ACC this year. With Clemson, it's all about DJ Uyangalale and how the offense changes to help him out because last year he was a stiff in the pocket. He missed way too many easy 10, five yard throws. And when it came time to just run the offense, he really struggled. When he came in in 2020 for Trevor Lawrence, there were no expectations, right? The guy was just, they just, just play football. That's what they told him. And he did a pretty darn good job. So what I've heard is that Clemson's going to try to, help DJU out by moving the pocket a bit more, letting him use his athleticism. They don't want him to be Cam Newton and run the football a whole lot, but if they let him use his athleticism, get off platform a bit more, maybe that helps. And if Uyangalale turns out to be a total total mess, then they've got Cade Klubnik, a very highly rated freshman, waiting in the wings. So we'll see what happens there. Defensively, Clemson also lost one of its best DNs. Uh, I, I don't it was either Xavier Thomas or was it Miles Pollard? I think it might've been Miles Pollard or no, Miles Pollard plays for Michigan. Who is it? Miles Murphy. I think he's back. Miles Murphy. Okay. I saw he was dealing with an injury last week, oh, okay. but okay. he might be, he might be just banged up. And again, yeah. that's the camp thing. It happens. Guys get knocked around. So Miles Murphy has been questionable over the past couple of weeks, but yeah, Clemson's defense is always really good last year. Although the offense stunk, Clemson's defense was top three in the ACC all year. So don't expect that to change because the talent's still there. Now is the game planning there for Clemson because both coordinators are gone. Mm -hmm. Tony Elliott to Virginia. He was the OC coach, Trevor Lawrence coached DJ for a year. Didn't work out. So I'm a little skeptical to see if this new offense will work because Tony Elliott was so established and he did so many good things at Clemson. And then Brett Venables now the head coach at Oklahoma Yes, they have the talent at all three levels of the defense, but, you know, Brett Venables was a head coach in waiting, and he held that role down for years and was really stout. So how does Dabo Swinney replace both of those guys one year separated? We'll see. That's kind of the biggest question they're facing. I don't think they're a top-five team, though, again. Before we move to topic three, I want to put you on the hot seat for one minute here. All right, of these five preseason top-25 teams that Syracuse faces, what's their record against them? Who? Mm, I don't know, because not only are most of the all these games are tough, but most of them are on the road too. Pitch so, on the road, Clemson's on the road, Wake's on the road. Yeah, and like going to Heinz Field. Well, it's not Heinz Field anymore, but like <laughs> whatever it's called now. Yeah, <laughs> going to Pitt is not going to be fun, right? So those those kind of things just. Ugh, I hate I hate to hate to be Debbie Downer here, but I'm going zero five, John. Going 0-5. Really? Going 0-5. Yeah. 
I think I'm with you. I don't have wins for any of these games. But what I will say is that Wake and Notre Dame and even Clemson, to a slight extent, very slight, are winnable. They always play Clemson tough. I don't know why. Dino's got the formula for that. That's exactly. The That's the thing. only game. <laughs> that and then, you know, the FCS teams. Uh, Notre Dame at home, you know, evergreen offense, first-year head coach, maybe, maybe middle of the season. But the thing is, I don't know how well Syracuse can play late in the season against Pitt, against Wake, because of the four-game stretch they're going to endure with NC State, with Clemson, with Notre Dame. The team might be gutted by then, and they won't have opportunities to even compete in these toss-up games against Wake and maybe even Pitt, if you want to consider that a toss-up game. But I'm with you. 0-5 is, I think, the most likely scenario. 1-4 is my prediction. they got to find a way to win one of these games, I think. And yeah, last that, year, last year at the end of the year, Syracuse had no life against any of those teams. So maybe that Wake Forest game, if the quarterback situation is still a real, real struggle for the Demon Deeks. They could have won that game too last year, even with yeah. Wake at darn near full strength. So it was very, very, very close. So yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe they go down to Winston-Salem and cause a little trouble. If you have an answer for that question, how well Syracuse will do against its top 25 opponents this year. There's five of them. Let us know at Orange Fizz on Twitter, at orangefizz.net online for all of our content daily. Let's move to topic number three, bringing it back to the Syracuse team, analyzing the strengths and weaknesses and how teams might look to expose those this season. Number three. John Eads, Ian Unsworth, still with you here on Fizz 5. And now we're going to get back into SU. With this 2022 squad, it's really intriguing. There's a lot of talent. A lot of returning players, some new coaches, but also some new returning staff members. And probably the most strengths that we've seen on a Syracuse team since Dino Babers has been here, or if you want to kick it back to 2018 because they went 10-3 and that year, that's fair too. Um, Three strengths that we see with Syracuse this year specifically. Let's start with number one, the run game. Obviously, Sean Tucker back, a lot of the offensive linemen back. Syracuse was one of the best, actually it was the best stretch that rushing team in the ACC last year with Garrett Schrader, with Sean Tucker. My question to you, Ian, is to put your coach hat on, put your AT&C headset on here. What are you doing as, say, Brett Venables, who's no longer a Clemson, but he's a D coordinator, used to be, just roll with it. What are you doing to game plan against the Syracuse rushing attack? Syracuse is going to run the ball, and sometimes they're going to do it well. And if you're Clemson, if you were Brett Venables last year, you had an extremely gifted front full of great athletes and five-star guys who could pound for pound, slug it out with SU's offensive line, push those guys back and stop a run cold after a yard or two. Most teams in the ACC don't necessarily have that. I mean, it's a short list of probably Clemson, Notre, well, Notre Dame, we're counting them because Syracuse plays them, Pitt, and maybe NC State. But yeah, it's, totally. it's a very short list of teams that will overwhelm you defensively at the line of scrimmage. So, for example, let's talk about Louisville a little bit. Syracuse's week one opponent, this'll, this is a little bit of a, you know, a, a tidbit of what we're going to get into deep into next week. But I wrote an article on orangefizz.net, a little fizz film study about teams stacking the box against SU's run game. And this, this is early on in last year's contest in Louisville, uh, where they retired Lamar Jackson's number. There will never be another number eight. There will never be another another number eight. Never. But in in this game, Louisville consistently had seven guys 
in the tackle box. So that means pushed up towards the line of scrimmage, ready to stop the run on the first drive. And on the outside, it was all man-to-man. 1v1 receiver and corner. What that's saying, if you're a defensive coordinator, is I don't trust you, the offense, to beat us one-on-one on the outside. I think our cornerbacks are better than your receivers. And since I know you're going to run the ball, I'm going to push all my players towards the middle and stop the run. Syracuse actually had a pretty good first drive in the game. They got all the way to the 50 and then ran three pass plays in a row, stalled. But Louisville, after seeing the run success, moved eight and then nine guys into the tackle box. Syracuse was running a couple jumbo sets, two tight ends. Louisville had practically its whole defense, except for two corners that were one-on-one on the outside, stacked up, pushed towards the middle of the field. All of the defensive players were crowding around the line of scrimmage, anticipating the run, and it got stopped for no gain. The game ended 41-3, to Louisville. So if I'm a defensive coordinator, I'm following that playbook. I'm blitzing, I'm sending pressures, I'm pushing up towards the line of scrimmage, and I'm trying to plug every single gap there is. Yeah, I mean, it's football seems like a complicated game sometimes, but honestly, it's just really that simple. Put guys in the field that can take up the inches laterally and vertically across the field, and you're going to stop what was the Syracuse offense. Now, the question is, can Robert and I bring in this air raid system, open up that box, make defenses respect Garrett Schrader, respect this passing game, which will then allow Sean Tucker and the offensive line and the wing blockers and the tight ends to have some success between the hashes. That's really the big question that Syracuse needs to have. That's the rebuttal for stacking the box, for stopping that Syracuse run game. So the run game coming into this season, absolutely a strength for Syracuse. But Sean Tucker is not catching anybody by surprise anymore. Garrett Schrader, he's not catching anybody surprise anymore either. Now, Syracuse does add Chris Elmore in. He's going to help a lot with this run game as a wing blocker. He's like a sixth offensive lineman, essentially, on the field. So that definitely helps. But if you want to be successful this year, if you want to flex your big bicep, which is your run game, you're going to have to develop your tricep, per se, and develop a passing game to make defenses respect that. So that's strength number one, how defenses might plan to stop that. Strength number two, other side of the football, second level of the defense, linebackers, cornerbacks. Everybody knows about Mikael Jones. Everybody knows about Stephon Thompson, Deuce Chestnut, Gary Williams, yada, 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 yada. What nobody knows about is who's going to be playing in front of those guys. Who are the big fellas along the front that are going to shut down the run game, make life easy, allow for these playmakers that Syracuse has in the back end of this defense to do what they do, and that's make plays. The question is, how much can these linebackers and corners do to help out a defensive line that's it's thin, not a lot of depth, and figures to struggle. What are opposing teams doing to beat these playmakers Syracuse has in the back end of its defense, Ian? Well, you don't attack them. People don't throw towards Garrett Williams anymore. That's why Deuce Chestnut had such great opportunities last season to make plays. He did. He got beat a couple times, too. That's the life of a cornerback. It's going to happen. Sometimes you get beat. But Deuce flashed because he had so many opportunities to make plays on the football. People didn't throw it towards Garrett Williams because he was locking it down. Great PFF coverage grades the entire season, 10 pass breakups, great numbers. And Williams is back because he personally was not happy with how his season played out. He had some injury problems last year and they were minor things, but like, you know, the hamstring, if you get it early in the season, it'll stick around because you're still moving. Oh yeah. Doesn't have time to fully heal. All that being said, 
how do you keep the ball away from cornerbacks if you're an offense? How do you keep it away from linebackers that move extremely well side to side laterally? They rush the passer well. Marlo Wax and Stephon Thompson both were in top five Syracuse sack leaders. You, you run the football. You go straight up the middle. You attack that defensive line, which is the weakness of the team, where they don't have people movers. They don't have big bodies. There's no 300-pound dude that's you know, been sitting around waiting in the wings to take over for Josh Black. No. Syracuse has some small guys playing up front. So opposing teams should hope that their offensive line can get really good push early on, and they run the football, wear them down. I go back to that Duke game in 2020, right? It's Duke, but the Blue Devils moved the football because yeah. their offensive line was better that day. Syracuse turns running backs nobody's even heard of into superstars, especially in 2020. Maybe not so much last year, but definitely in 2020. You think of Liberty's running backs, didn't matter who was running the ball that game, they were going yeah, off. Shedro Lewis. Yeah. Shedro Lewis. That name is ingrained in my brain. And he didn't do a thing in 2021. Yep. Yep. You won't forget those names. So how does Syracuse find a way to get teams to third down? I think that's the rebuttal to that game plan. You need to get these squads to third and five and further. That's when you're going to force teams probably to pass the football. And that's where Syracuse is strong. Their corners are good. Their safeties are solid. Linebackers, extremely good. Mikel Jones is a spy. Wax Thompson blitzing off the edge, running those stunts, getting crafty. That's where this defense was good last year. That's where they're going to be good again this year. I know you got nobody on your D-line, but if you can have guys that can just play within the system and allow for your playmakers to be the guys that they are, to be the dogs, then do that. That's all you need. And the defense has the, t- the help of the 12th man. It gets very loud in the dome. Mm-hmm. Teams, teams do struggle with that because it's a different kind of noise than it is playing outside. It all hits the roof and comes back on top of the players, and it's, it's tough to hear. Yeah, I don't know statistically what it was last year, but Syracuse was really good on third down in the dome. And even towards the end of the season, when even there were like maybe 20,000 people in there, it doesn't matter. It gets loud. And uh, the defense really came to play, especially in the Dome. Not so much on the road, but especially in the Dome. And that's important. There's a lot of big games there this year. All right, final strength, if you want to call it that for this Syracuse team, Ian and I are about to dissect it. Do you consider the coaching staff a strength or a weakness coming into this season? Dino Babers has a lot to prove. Let's put it that way. Positional coaching, strengths for sure. Mike Schmidt on the offensive line, great. Nick Monroe and Chip West, what they've done with the secondary, awesome, right? And we've seen Chris Achuff with the linebackers. He's now moved to the D line. But the linebacker, development, great. I mean, Marlo Wax was a running back recruit. And now he's a potential NFL guy. So the positional coaching, thumbs up all around. And Tony White, defensive coordinator, has secured those guys throughout the defense and his scheme – although it's got its holes, has proven rather decent for SU. The questions for the offensive side, yes, and it's more a schematic thing with Robert and I waiting to see what happens there. So like the, like the, the small parts are, make up a nice sum, but the buck has to stop somewhere, and everybody was appalled by some of the late games decisions that Dino Babers made last year. And at, who's making those calls on the field? It's probably Dino, regardless of whether it's third and one offensively or defensively. 
whether it's field goal or go for it on fourth. Those are all Dino Babers decisions. Those are things the head coach decides. That's why Dino's got to buy out the size of like the size of the state of New York. Oh boy. So Dino Babers himself has to improve before I can call coaching a strength because okay. at the end of the day, you're only as good as your head coach coaching wise. Yeah, that's fair. I think my hope and the reason why I consider it a strength is that some of that stuff he had to decide on, he won't have to as much this year. You bring in Bob Ligashevsky to coach special teams. Maybe he has some kind of a say on, hey, is Andre ready to kick this field goal? Should we try and get this first down? Should we keep putting the drive together here? Um, who should punt? Should we run that stupid fake punt play oh, or not? The, the I hope fake punt play. Oh my gosh. Some, I don't, dude. Oh, the special punt. Has, uh, the special punt. The record that goes league. 10 yards. Yeah, it definitely was special when you look at it like that. But uh, yeah, I'm hoping that Ligashevsky definitely has some kind of a say in those kind of things. Then offensively, you know, Robert and I is a very well-experienced veteran coaching as well. He was at BYU. He was at Virginia with Bronco Mendenhall. I hope that from not only a game planning standpoint, but a game management standpoint, he's kind of having a say, having a role in some of these picks, these decisions. You know, what should we run here? It's third and one, fourth and one down three points should we try and get this first down try to score the touchdown and win should we go for two here I hope he has some kind of a decision process in this too and it's not just Dino so from a holistic standpoint the coaching staff positional coaches coordinators love it I think it's definitely a strength but Dino did some things last year you know to leave things leave things desired and that might be a reason why I think it's a weakness but let's get more into the weaknesses here as we continue our third topic on fist five John Eats Ian Unsworth with you the D-line, we kind of just touched on this a second ago. Obviously, a weakness with this team. And we talked about how teams will game plan against it. I guess, what am I hoping you're going to see this year that will turn this defensive line from a weakness to a strength? Young freshmen stepping up. That's, I think that's the, the biggest thing. You need some hope for the future. Because right now, Caleb Okachukwu and... Terry Lockett are your only real veterans and Terry Lockett's a sophomore. So that says something And maybe like Kevon Darton, who's barely played besides special teams. So you, you need guys who are young to pick up that experience and hopefully down the line in two, three years, we're looking at Dennis Haquez and Francois Knowlton with 30 more, 40 more pounds of muscle on them. And yeah. you know, that experience that, grizzled the grizzled veterans of the ACC now and those dudes are really ready to tee off on some offensive tackles so with the D-line they're not they're not going to be great we just have to accept that fact but if the young guys can consistently contribute in some way it lets you know that hey these guys are being developed well and ultimately they're going to work out in the system in a 3-3-5 defense I think there's only so much of an impact defensive linemen can have yeah. You think about Cody Roscoe last year, he exploded. He came out of nowhere. And I think he hit the ceiling of what a defensive and a defensive lineman can do in this system. So the way I think this position group goes from a weakness to not even a strength, but just being serviceable is that you don't be a detriment to the team. You fill the gaps you have to fill. You open up space for your linebackers to make plays and you give chances for your secondary to make plays, get some picks, turn the ball over because that's how you're going to be successful this year. So Early on, 
I'm just looking for this D-line not to get blown off the ball, not to lose excessively at the line of scrimmage. Just compete. Be competitive. Get teams to third down. Do what you can and allow your back half, your back eight, back nine, if you will, to do what it does, and that's be great. Uh, Moving to our final weakness, which we've already touched on as well, and it's pretty obvious, it's the passing game. It was a weakness last year. Dino Babers has done things in the offseason to try to alleviate some of that, bringing in Robert and I, bringing in a couple of intriguing transfers. At what point will you, one, think this passing game is taking the next step, and two, think it's time to move on from Schrader and maybe turn the things over to somebody else in this quarterback room? Well, those are those are the extremes, per se. If First of all, not calling four verts on third and four will help the passing game be nice. improve. Robert and I hopefully has a bit more feel than Sterling Gilbert, who I don't think did a whole lot of much. His offense was not Sterling, I'll tell you that. So if Anai can help Schrader get easy throws early on in the game and get his confidence up, I think that's how you build the passing game going forward. Schrader's throwing motion is a little janky. I was watching that Louisville game yesterday for the Fizz film study, and I mean, it didn't look like the dudes I was seeing, seeing in NFL preseason. So that's one thing. Maybe he's worked on a mechanics with Jason Beck a little bit, and that'll help him as well. But getting him those short throws, letting him build up his confidence before you ask him to throw 20-yard ins, deep balls constantly, because when Tommy DeVito was running the offense, what'd they do? They threw deep balls, and they threw two-yard passes, and neither of them worked. So you need a mix of passing plays to get the offense humming and hopefully get Schrader feeling comfortable throwing it all over the field. Now. If he's unable to do that, and if his completion percentage is close to 50, and you like look at a team, it was last year, but if you can look at the Syracuse offense and tell that they have no desire to throw the ball in any way, shape, or form, you got to look at Carlos Del Rio Wilson, who's a legitimate arm talent, and say, all right, what can you do for us? You know, Syracuse isn't, you'll have that, you'll have a couple of games, maybe three games three four five you have the Wagner game nestled in there where you're going to see some stuff from those backups guaranteed and maybe that U Albany game last year was where things began to shift for Dino Babers so right you, you never really know yeah I mean I just wish that Justin Lampson was healthy because he looks so good in the spring game it seems like he has the best of everything you'd want in a quarterback he's got the athleticism of Schrader. He's got a little bit of that arm talent that maybe Carlos Del Rio Wilson has and is shown on film in high school and the limited time he's played at Florida in the spring game and practices and whatnot. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's kind of crazy. You got Schrader coming back. He's the incumbent guy. He knows his offense well. But if he can't get the job done, you got to turn to somebody else because this is supposed to be your guy for this year, maybe next year as well. And even if this new offense is doing nothing, maybe he's just not the guy for the job. So we'll see. I mean, he's going to be the starter for sure early on. Definitely uh, taking that first snap, that first drive against Louisville. And we'll see if this new offense, the new game plan, kind of like Carter Bainbridge was talking about at our Twitter space on Thursday, can help Schrader at all. Uh, But speaking of that offense, speaking of that passing game, we're going to get into breakout players uh, with our fourth topic here. And spoiler alert, Ian and I both think it's going to be somebody from the receiving room that breaks out this year on the offensive side. Here's topic number four. Number four. All right, Dino Babers and company hoping for a breakout season from the team, 
and from the offense. To do that, Ian, they're going to need some breakout players within this offensive room, and we both think that's going to come from the passing game via the wide receivers, the guys that catch the footballs. So I want to ask you, who do you think is the most likely player to enjoy a breakout season this fall? Last year, Courtney Jackson was the, the number one after Taj Harris left. So can't really say he's going to break out. You need more from him, yes, but it, it, Courtney Jackson's on everyone's radar. Let's say, it, let's put it that way. Yeah, I think it's actually going to be a freshman, Donovan Brown, who gets more playing time as the season goes on and on. He did some really good things in the spring game. A couple of deep catches, a couple of screen passes where he went for the tunnel, broke towards the middle of the field and found his way down for a first down, maybe a bit more as well. You need guys like this freshman to, to step up and play well. And I think Donovan Brown has the skill set, the natural athleticism too. He's not super big. It's six foot one, right under 200 pounds. So not necessarily a physical specimen of sorts, but He's really quick, and he's got natural athleticism that'll get him on the field right away. And that's something you need if you're Syracuse, because right now, after Courtney Jackson, Damian Alford, who do you have that's going to break a game open? I don't think Anthony Quilly's really doing a whole lot for you. Uh, clock's ticking for Anthony Quigley, that's for sure. I love Brown, too. You and I were both there for that spring game, and he had some really nice plays. He had an NFL-type catch where he uh, hit the ground with his knee but kept running went for, like, 50 yards. He was the go-to guy – for Luke McPhail, who's a walk-on quarterback, whatever, who got a lot of playing time that spring game, he was getting all the throws on, on one drive in particular, and he was burning corners, and he looked really smooth. Uh, he's got great athleticism, too, like you said. Runs a sub-11-second 100-meter, a sub-22-second 200-meter. So this guy's a burner. If they can get him the football, he could be something really special in the slot or in the outside. For me, I'm also going receiver because that's how this offense is going to break out. And I went Damian Alford in our space on Thursday, but I'm changing my answer. I'm going to Mari Hatcher. The guy was unbelievable in the spring game. Great athlete. And everything I've heard from the program is that when this guy goes into the weight room, he just attacks. Everything he does, he attacks with enthusiasm, with a hardworking, hardworking uh, you know, work ethic because he just wants it. There's no wide receiver one in this offense. You could say Courtney Jackson, but you know, not even getting 400 receiving yards in a season, I wouldn't say is wide receiver one material. There are reps to be gotten. There are yards to be accumulated. There are catches to be made. Amari Hatcher wants all of that. Really high pedigree recruit. Penn State wanted this guy. He spurned some big programs to come here to Syracuse. I think it's his time to emerge as maybe the wide receiver one in this offense. He can do everything well. He can play on the outside. He's got great footwork, downfield threat. Between the hashes, this guy can do it all. So I love Amari Hatcher. So he's Ian and I both go receivers. What do you think about Hatcher? He's, he's got a bigger frame, too, with him on one side, Alford on the other side. Courtney Jackson is, is meant for the slot. His body type yep. puts him in between, in, in between the hash, close to the hashes, motioning across the formation, doing that sort of stuff. And he can be a threat maybe on a jet sweep or two, a bubble screen type of thing. But you need big guys on the outside because that's what Syracuse has trouble with defensively, and that's what most teams are going to have trouble with guys who can catch jump balls and Schrader, as we've talked about, not the greatest arm. So you need your receivers to help you out. And those big dudes have the potential, whether it, whether it is Hatcher or Aronde Gadsden or Kendall Long, even you need <laughs> so, so one of those guys 
to really step it up this year. Hatcher didn't play at all last year, neither did Long. And, I mean, Gadsden got, what, spot duty? I barely noticed he was on the field. So you need one of those three dudes from your 2021 class to to pick it up. And if not, Donovan Brown is going to be right on their heels. There's so many names in that wide receiver room. There just has to be one of them that hits. You know, it's like you're, you're panning for gold. You're digging for gold. You dig in six different locations. One of those spots has to give you that what you're looking for, that reward, you know, and I think we'll find that from somebody in Syracuse's wide receiver room. Question is, who wants it? I think it's Hatcher. You think it's Brown. Let's go to the defensive side where things might be a little more easy to, to pick breakout guys because really kind of similar to wide receiver, if you want that passing game to get better and thus the offense to get better, you need this defensive line to show some kind of a brass, I think, if you want Syracuse to improve this year. But that's not where you're going for your breakout player. Who you got? Well, it was going to be Braylon Oliver. I was very hyped about Oliver. He had a pick in the spring game. And coming from Louisville, who better to know the stuff that Scott Satterfield's team's going to be running, maybe pick up on a call or two. If you hear, like, if Braylon Oliver hears something that he recognizes from last year's practices out of Malik Cunningham's mouth, Syracuse is stopping that play. It's like having the other team's playbook. So I thought Oliver would definitely get some opportunities. But either he or Elijah Clark, one of those two transfers, Syracuse needs to be big on the back end, probably playing the safety or playing nickel, whatever it is, because the corner spots, shorn up. You're, you're too deep at Rover. You're too deep across the linebackers. That's, that's pretty darn clear. But I, I couldn't pick a name on the D-line. So that, that's why I went back end. That's fair. I mean, I wouldn't completely take the chips out of the pile in terms of Braylon Oliver. He's definitely been getting a lot of run with the twos I've been hearing in practice. But right now, it's Elijah Clark that's kind of grabbing that spot behind Jason Simmons, or I guess maybe even Jason Simmons' spot now at safety. So keep an eye on Oliver for sure. Great athlete. I am going to go defensive line because it's time for this guy. Caleb Okachukwu entering his fifth year with the program. No returning starters along that defensive front. He got a lot of time last year, over 250 snaps along the defensive line, the most of any returnee. And it's his turn to lead this position group, kind of because he has to, because there's nobody else really back from last year besides Terry Lockett that knows what goes on during a college football game. So it has to be Caleb Okachukwu. He showed some nice plays last year. He helped out with a safety in the Ohio game, was in the backfield for a couple TFLs and a sack or two. Um, but now's his year to pop more, have a bigger role in this defense because the clock's ticking for him. So I think it has to be Caleb Okachukwu, and I'm very excited about that. John Eads, Ian Unsworth with you on Fizz 5. One topic to go, our fifth topic, and we're going to make it a little fun. We're going to ask a little question. Feel free to chime in with your answers as, as well at Orange Fizz on Twitter, orangefizz.net for all of our content. Which program, Syracuse football with Dino Babers or Syracuse basketball with Jim Beheim? is under more pressure to win in 2022. We'll debate that with topic five. Number five. All right. You know the question, Ian. Which way are you going with this? Dino Babers on the hot seat more or Jim Beheim this year? It's, it's got to go football. And Jim Beheim had a, the worst season in, in his coaching history last year. But it's Jim Beheim. The dude could be around for forever. Jim Beheim could fire John Wildhack right now. Oh, man. I mean, I, 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 what do you think? Could that not happen? Could that not realistically happen? Hey, Jim, I mean, Beheim, Jim Beheim could run for the mayor. He could, he could take Ben Walsh out as mayor of Syracuse if he really wanted to. That I could see. So 
and he's not going anywhere. But regardless of how bad the team turns out to be, if all five Syracuse freshmen flop, it, it he's going to be fine. I don't think anyone's wavering their support of Syracuse basketball. I don't think anyone's not going to throw their money towards the NIL collective because of, you know, Jim Beheim. Like it, Syracuse basketball is going to be fine. Mm-hmm. Dino Babers, on the other hand, regardless of how big his buyout is, it should be a little, you know, he should have a couple of sweat droplets trickling down his forehead because after last year, when he had to defend himself a lot more than he had to his players throughout the, the middle of the season, and you got to look inward at a certain point in time. We talked about the coaching decisions, but when does John Wildhack with the pressure to win coming down with new TV contracts negotiated every second. And it's all about football, right? USC is not going to the big 10 to play basketball. So if this football success does matter in this new conference realignment era and Syracuse is on the precipice of having some of it with this talent they have, but is Dino Babers the right guy to lead the program? This, this is the year when the rubber hits the road. So Syracuse football needs to succeed. I don't think really either coach is under that much pressure to win this year, which might be crazy to hear. But I mean, think about it. Jim Beheim, like you said, he's established. He's kind of coming towards the close of his career at some point, yeah. we think. Yeah. I mean, in the next three to four years, you would think it's got to be done. So they're not going to fire him because, you know, he has another bad season. It's going to organically play out or have a great season. You just never know. And Dino Babers, he has that big buyout. I think people understand the schedule they're facing this year is just so hard. They have all this talent. The talent, a lot of it might be back next year, and I don't really care about next year right now. What I'm saying is that, you know, it's, it's tough. I know this is the most talented team that he has, and if they flop, you know, it's not a good look for him. It's not a good look for the program. But you got to think about the new coaches, the schedule they have, and that buyout as well. I think he's going to be under the an insane amount of pressure next year. 2023 is Dino Babers' make or break year. Not this year, I think. But he needs to do things this year to alleviate a little bit of that heat, to make it a little more cool on his seat and cool in the room. Is that Does that mean winning four games and pulling an upset, five, win, five wins, making a bowl game? You know, he can do things this year to help him out and to, you know, take the pressure off of him. But I think next year is really the big year for Dino Babers because his buyout's going to be a little bit less. And, you know, next year's the year. The schedule's going to be easier. A lot of talent's going to be back. And uh, he's gone or he's going to be staying. If Dino Babers can beat Clemson or Notre Dame in the next two years, he, he'll stick around until 2027, right? The, the two, two things keeping Dino around right now are the Clemson win and the bowl game, right? So if he can pull off one of those big wins, and buyout. yeah, and well, the buyout too, but the buyout comes because right. of the bowl season and the Clemson win. So, and you see it all around college sports. Pulling an upset gives you a lot of rope as a coach. So if Dino Babers can go down to Death Valley this year and stick one out against Dabo Swinney, or if he can upset the Golden Domers at home, even if Syracuse goes four and eight, you have to be, I hate to hashtag pleased, but you have to be (laughs) pleased with how things go because a win that big might not mean long-term success, but Syracuse is back in the news cycle for a week. And when was the last time Syracuse football was important? Four years, 2018. Yeah. Or or 2019, before they played Maryland, then they were important. A lot of people thought game day would come to Syracuse for that Clemson game. But uh, then they played the Terrapins. So 
Yeah. I mean, 2023 is the year, I think, for Babers. He should definitely feel the pressure this year, but they're not exactly putting the uh, the branding. Is that what it is, what they put on the horses when they're uh, stamping them? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. A brand. That's not getting put on him this year. It's getting close, but it's not going to be put on him until next year. What he needs to do this year is not flop. He can't go 1-11, can't go 2-10. and 10. I don't see that happening. I think this team's more likely to go 5-7 and seven than they are 2-10 and 10 this year. And he but, can't coach um, the team out of wins either. You can't, yeah. you, can't, you can't put yourself in a position to look bad. If the team fails, whatever. But if he fails the team, then it's a real problem. Well, we're going to see that play out as it will over the next couple of months. It all starts against Louisville in less than two weeks. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's edition of Fizz 5. For Ian Unsworth, I've been John Eads saying thank you once again. Go Orange. Be sure to check out all of our stuff at orangefizz.net, at orangefizz on Twitter. We'll be back with Fizz 5, of course, next week as we usually do. But also, don't miss a special Twitter talk space just like we did last Thursday, this upcoming Thursday, 7.30 p.m. at Orange Fizz on Twitter. Ian and I will preview the Louisville game, give you everything you need to know for the Orange and the Cardinals going down on Saturday night. Season opener for Syracuse. We cannot wait. Thanks so much again for tuning in. For Ian Unsworth, I've been John Eads. We will catch you all next time. And that's your Fizz 5. Listen next week. Subscribe, rate, and review. This has been an Orange Fizz production.